Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, July 20th, we are studying Jeremiah chapter 37, verses 1 to 21. During the reign of King Zedekiah, Jeremiah continues to warn the people of Jerusalem of impending defeat at the hands of the Babylonians. But his faithful words and actions are misinterpreted and lead to his imprisonment. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Stephen Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Vinton, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Thank you. Good to be back. As we get started this morning, Pastor Preuss, let's talk a little bit of context. In chapter 36, we were during the reign of King Jehoiakim. We've fast-forwarded a bit in history to the reign of King Zedekiah, but it's still good to know what has been happening prior to that, leading up to chapter 37. So what should we know about context as we prepare to look at this chapter today? Sure. So uh, in chapter 36, uh, we hear how the Lord had given Jeremiah a prophecy, which he dictated to Baruch and It said that the king of Babylon would certainly come and destroy this land and will cut off from it man and beast. And Jehoiakim, uh, the king of Judah, burned the scroll with the words of the Lord on it uh, because he did not like the prophecy. He did not fear the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Jeremiah again. Baruch wrote it down again, uh, but added some words, including a punishment of Jehoiakim, which said, he shall have none to sit on the throne of David and his dead body shall be cast out to the heat by day and the frost by night. And I will punish him and his offspring and his servants for their iniquity. I will bring upon them and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem and upon the people of Judah all the disaster that I have pronounced against them, but they would not hear. And we hear about in Second Kings 24 and in Second Chronicles 36 how the Lord did send the Babylonians to Jerusalem as he threatened and Jehoiakim died. And so this is kind of helpful context just because we're beginning here uh, in chapter 37, talking about Zedekiah again. Right. We've moved forward in history quite a ways, as, as we will see when we begin to talk about the text. The previous chapter was 605, 604 B.C., and now we've moved forward really toward near the very bitter end for Jerusalem and Judah toward 588 B.C., as we'll see during the reign of King Zedekiah. But that, that prophecy that Jeremiah gave there at the end of chapter 36 concerning Jehoiakim really does come into play at the very beginning of this chapter, as we see, in fact, that the Lord was true to his word, that uh, the descendant of Jehoiakim did not reign on the throne of Jerusalem, and instead it is Zedekiah at the time. So I'll read a little bit here for us in Jeremiah chapter 37, beginning at verse 1. Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, made king in the land of Judah, reigned instead of Caniah, the son of Jehoiakim. But neither he nor his servants nor the people of the land listened to the words of the Lord that he spoke through Jeremiah the prophet. King Zedekiah sent Jehakal, the son of Shelemiah, and Zephaniah the priest, the son of Maasiah, to Jeremiah the prophet, saying, Please pray for us to the Lord our God. 
Now, Jeremiah was still going in and out among the people, for he had not yet been put in prison. The army of Pharaoh had come up out of Egypt. And when the Chaldeans, who were besieging Jerusalem, heard news about them, they withdrew from Jerusalem. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet. Thus says the Lord, God of Israel, Thus shall you say to the king of Judah, who sent you to me to inquire of me, Behold, Pharaoh's army that came to help you is about to return to Egypt, to its own land. And the Chaldeans shall come back and fight against this city. They shall capture it and burn it with fire. Thus says the Lord, Do not deceive yourselves, saying, The Chaldeans will surely go away from us, for they will not go away. For even if you should defeat the whole army of Chaldeans who are fighting against you, and there remained of them only wounded men, every man in his tent, they would rise up and burn this city with fire. That's Jeremiah 37, verses 1 to 10. So, Pastor Price, we get some of that historical context in the the first two verses of this chapter, Jeremiah 37, verses 1 to 2, about Zedekiah reigning, not Kaniah, the son of Jehoiakim. Uh, What do we see in those first couple of verses? Yeah, in these first couple of verses, Zedekiah and the people slight the words of the Lord from Jeremiah. So uh, to start it off with, Jehoiakim's son, Jehoiakim, so Kaniah, he reigned in his place for about three months and ten days, so not a very long time. Uh, And King Nebuchadnezzar uh, brought him to Babylon and made his uncle, Zedekiah, uh, originally known as Mataniah, uh, king over Judah and Jerusalem instead. But Zedekiah also did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, uh, just like uh, others had, Manasseh and many others, um, and all of his servants and the people too. We hear in Second Quran, uh, Chronicles that uh, at that time, all the officers of service of the priests and the people likewise were exceedingly unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations. And they polluted the house of the Lord that he had made holy in Jerusalem. So this is during the time of, of Zedekiah. So there, there's much of the same going on with, with the unfaithfulness. And even though the Lord had compassion on them and he kept on sending them messengers, he just didn't give up on them. We hear that they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and, and scoffing at his prophets. And so as we begin here with, with, with Zedekiah as king, uh, the people are, are still not and the king is still not listening to jeremiah as he prophesies to them the words the lord gave him and again just a a reminder that you know zedekiah his name means something to the effect of the lord is righteous or the lord is righteousness we've we've talked a little bit about that previously and so the great irony that here this final king of judah has such an exalted name and yet uh, certainly does not live up to it nor any of the officers and servants that are that are in his court not listening to Jeremiah the prophet. Now, it, it does seem perhaps a bit strange that in verse 3, he sends to Jeremiah the prophet, and this isn't the last time that he will do so, to go to Jeremiah almost in a, well, what's, what do you think his attitude is, Pastor Preuss? He, he asks Jeremiah to pray to the Lord our God. Is this a sincere request, do you think? You know, uh, whether it is sincere in, in a deluded way, or uh, I don't think it necessarily is malicious. Uh, maybe he does think that the Lord will still hear him, but it's certainly a deluded plea for a prayer. Um, we know that he had asked for a prayer to the Lord before to help against the Babylonians, uh, using Zephaniah again as a messenger then too. And uh, Zedekiah's desire for a prayer has to be a farce, since the Lord only hears the prayers of those who trust in him. 
right? The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. And you point out, you know, Zedekiah's name, he should be righteous, but he's not. Why not? Because, you know, the righteous live by faith. And he does not trust in the Lord. He's not following the Lord's ways. He, he's not interested in this, not interested in listening to Jeremiah. He's always looking for, for an answer that is not in accord with what the Word of God says. So since Zedekiah spurned the good counsel from Jeremiah, uh, expecting a good prayer from him uh, was deluded thinking on Zedekiah's part. Uh, and it's really, it's awful hypocrisy. You know, and, and people will do this. Uh, they will will deliberately do evil against God's word, and all of a sudden, when they they think that they need God, uh, they'll pray, or or they'll pretend like they pray, uh, or they 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 don't they don't really take seriously uh, how God's word is is meant to go along with prayer. That we live in repentance and we live in faith in Christ, and that's why we know that God hears our prayers, and we can with boldness and confidence approach Him. So. Uh, we should learn from this. We should not ourselves pray to God while deliberately doing evil against his word. Instead, we should seek, you know, the prayers of our pastors, right, uh, with, with faith in the Lord, knowing that he hears our cries. So, so no, Zedekiah's plea for a prayer should not be looked at as, oh, oh, at least he's, you know, semi-good. No, he's, he's not semi-good. He is a sinner who is not following God's ways. And the idea that the Lord's going to listen to his prayer as he is pursuing wickedness, uh, is a total farce. I mean, it, it does, the timing of it here certainly seems like a, a last-ditch effort. As, as we find out in the next couple of verses, this is you know, right near the end. There seems to be a bit of relief coming from the Egyptian army, which we'll, we'll talk about in a moment. But it does, it does strike as a, a last-ditch effort on Zedekiah's part, that you know, maybe he can get away with it this time. Maybe, maybe the Lord will will do something, despite the fact that Zedekiah, as you said, has not lived by faith, has proven time and time again that he really has no real desire. As I'm thinking about Zedekiah here, and we're going to see again later in the text his further interaction with the prophet Jeremiah. In the three-year lectionary, we recently heard from Mark chapter six, where King Herod beheads John the Baptist. And it strikes me that there's maybe a bit of similarity between King Herod there in Mark 6 and King Zedekiah here, because on the one hand, I mean, I want to feel a bit sorry for Zedekiah, because there's there's times here, and especially later, that you, you almost, you get the sense that he's close to getting it. Kind of like, you know, King Herod is is said to have enjoyed listening to John's preaching, but at the end, neither one truly believed. Neither one actually had that you know, the righteous will live by faith, they both fell short. It just, I don't, it strikes me that there may be some some similarities, some comparisons that we could make between the two. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. And uh, it, it gets us to the, the truth that on, only those who have faith uh, will do that which is right in God's sight. You know, only, only through faith in, in the Lord are we pleasing in his sight. And so we can look upon the things that they're doing and say, well, you know, that was a wise thing to do, and and maybe they understood that part of God's word, but it's still, it's still a, a kind of a natural law kind of a thing. They're just following God's God's law, insofar as it is, you know, naturally known to all men, uh, but that they would actually trust in the Lord and say, Thy will be done. This is the way Zedekiah should be. This is the way Herod should have been. Thy will be done. They might be close, but no cigar, as they say. There's there's no uh, real trust. And so 
we need to be aware of that, that uh, we, we, evil is oftentimes we just look at it as that which is the outward act. And Zedekiah did plenty of that, too, an encouragement of, of uh, all of the idolatrous practices. Uh, however, uh, it, it is a matter of the heart. And in the heart, we see that, that Zedekiah is, is not trusting in the Lord, uh, just like Herod didn't either. Right. Yeah. I mean, despite their outward acts, which certainly I think they have a, a sense of political motivation, they've just got that that flavor right. to it. You know, there's not that faith in the heart, and and without that faith in the heart, those outward acts don't actually prove anything at all. And, and that's, I mean, that's been Jeremiah's preaching throughout the book. So we we come to verses four and five in the text, and we we meet a, a pretty important historical event here. We've encountered this a couple times within the book of Jeremiah already. That apparently at the toward the very end of the siege of Jerusalem, there at the very end. Pharaoh's army came up. So what what's happening here? What's the historical context surrounding verses 4 and 5? Yeah, so it is it is interesting, you know, the context of of this prayer and and when when did this prayer actually come about? Uh we hear that the army of Pharaoh actually distract, distracts the Chaldeans, these Babylonians um need to kind of go away from from Jerusalem. So uh, in verses 4 and 5, we hear first that Jeremiah was, was not in prison yet. We'll get to that uh, later. Uh, so he was free to go to Zedekiah to respond to him. But then we hear that the Pharaoh of Egypt had come out, and the Chaldeans stopped besieging Jerusalem to deal with these forces from Egypt. So though Zedekiah was a vassal of King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, he had entered into an alliance with the Pharaoh, uh, and we hear about that in different places in, in the Old Testament, including Ezekiel. Uh, this this help from an uh, an earthly ruler, though, seemed to be good news to Zedekiah. Uh, and so he says, oh, wow, look, at the Babylonians aren't coming after us anymore. The Egyptians are helping. Uh, they, they trusted in mortal men instead of the immortal Lord uh, who spoke through Jeremiah. And uh, as we hear, they, they should have listened. But it's just so typical of us that... You know, we, we sing the hymn, Trust Not in Princes, They Are But Mortal, Earthbound They Are, and Soon Decay. Uh, and here he is, he, he's trusting in princes. He's trusting in, in uh, a heathen king uh, rather than in the, the Lord himself uh, and the words that the Lord gives to him through Jeremiah. I, I think that historical context really points out a, a bit about his his prayer that he invites Jeremiah to to speak. That it, it's almost like Zedekiah's attempt at prayer here is a bit of hedging his bets. He's already yeah. thrown his hat in with Egypt. It seems. I mean, he's he's got the Egyptian army coming for him, but he's saying, well, maybe maybe the Lord can be my backup if Egypt if Egypt doesn't work out for me. You know, the Lord can can be my backup. I'm, I'm reminded a bit of the the interaction that the prophet. Isaiah has with King Ahaz in Isaiah chapter seven, where where Isaiah you know tells Ahaz, look, don't don't worry about these foreign powers and allying with them. The Lord will protect you. He will fight. And Ahaz doesn't believe it at the time. And it seems Zedekiah he's got that same problem. He's as you said, he's trusting in princes rather than putting his trust in the Lord. I mean, I think that really just goes back to what you were saying earlier about how. How often do we, you know, we simply forget the Lord and, and praying and asking him for help until maybe the bitter end or until it looks like the plans we have already set for ourselves aren't working. And and Zedekiah seems to be doing the same thing here. Yeah, I think it's a lesson for us in the three estates, in the, in the church, the family, and, and in our government um, today, that 
you know, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of kind of hedging our bets, uh, if you will, uh, that, you know, if the Lord isn't going to help us, then we're, we're going to have to take things into our own hands. Um, but instead, we should be trusting him. You know, we've got a, a lesson here uh, in, in the lectionary uh, from Mark 8. And uh, he, you know, feeding of the 4,000. And why are the 4,000 with Jesus there with him? Because they have been clinging to his word, and that's why they're hungry. And, and that's the way we should all be. We should follow the Lord's words no matter, no matter where it, it might lead us, because we don't know what the Lord is going to work through uh, his, his word uh, into the future, except for we know our eternal salvation through, through faith in Christ. And so uh, it might seem like it's not a smart thing to do, uh, to follow the Lord instead, but to instead trust in, in earthly rulers or, or, or in the things we can accomplish ourselves. But ultimately, that's, that's folly. It's not going to work. The wisdom that God wants us to follow is his word. It's a word we know in the New Testament, a word of the cross. Uh, but it's always been a word that, that the people, whether it be Zedekiah or Ahaz or, or any of the kings of, of the Old Testament, uh, they just would not trust that word. They wanted to trust in uh, the, the, the strength of man. But the, the Lord says, blessed are those who fear him, right, and don't trust in, in those, the, the strength of, of the chariots and the horses. I think that, that goes right along with what you were saying earlier about the, you know, praying thy will be done, which both Zedekiah and, and Herod didn't. When we, I mean, when we look at the various things that, that go on in the world and, and we pray that thy will be done, there's often a question about, well, what, what is God up to? What's, what's he doing? And all, what he gives us is to listen to his word. That's, that's what we know his will is. What does he want us to do in the midst of all these things? Well, his will is given to us in his word, and, and the temptation is to, to go beyond that, to look for something else, to, to go by our own human reason, rather than praying, thy will be done, and then going along with that will, believing that will, as he speaks it to us in his word. And, and ultimately, as you said, we know that his, his will is to bring us into salvation, and that no matter how that may play out within this life and the the changes and chances that we experience, we know that he is working to accomplish that ultimate will of of his, of bringing us into or keeping us in repentance and faith unto salvation. Yeah, and that's where you get, you know, you hear today people say things like, well, God just wants me to be happy. And uh, you say, well, in, in heaven, in the new creation, yes. Uh, and so, but in this life, no, there's much suffering, and we we are to look at this life uh, through the cross and through suffering and see how God works through it. And had had Zedekiah understood that and listened to Jeremiah, uh, you know, the Lord is is gracious and merciful; He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. But here, Zedekiah is not is not interested in that. Again, he his his reason is unreasonable. Uh, when it comes to God's word, and so he 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 doesn't trust it. He doesn't say that I will be done as as we've been saying. So it's uh, yeah, this this army distracting uh, the Babylonians really uh, gives him a little bit of false hope to trust against what God's word has clearly said will happen. Uh, and and that's that's another aspect of this is that what did God's word say? It said that no, the Babylonians are going to do this. This is going to happen, and. Uh, it's it's yeah him him going to the Lord it's it's uh, as you said hedging his bets it's just showing that Zedekiah's faith is is certainly not clear and not clinging to the Lord. So this word from the Lord, which Zedekiah has heard before, the Lord gives to Jeremiah again to speak in verses six through ten. So how does how does the Lord repeat to Zedekiah through the prophet Jeremiah what is 
coming. Yeah, the word of the Lord to Jeremiah is that Jerusalem will will certainly burn. Uh, the Lord did not mince words. He spoke it very, very frankly. Uh, he told Jeremiah plainly three things, if we could kind of outline it. Uh, the first is that the Egyptians' help was in vain. Pharaoh's forces uh, might be advancing now, uh, and and it looked like the uh, Chaldeans would would have to you know stay there with them for a while. Uh, but the the forces of Pharaoh would retreat and uh, not face the Chaldeans anymore on behalf of Judah. So that's that's number one. This this Egyptians' help uh, was in vain. It was just a temporary fix, uh, like like putting you know a bandaid over a huge flesh wound. Uh, second, uh, the Chaldeans would then return and renew their siege, uh, and they'd fight, we hear. They'd fight more vigorously than ever before. So uh, they're coming, and though though they've retreated for now, they're coming, and, and boy, will they hit you. And how hard will they hit you? Well, finally, the Chaldeans would capture Jerusalem and burn it with fire. This is said twice. And so Zedekiah and the people of, of Jude, uh, Judah uh, deceived themselves in thinking that the Chaldeans would go away from them forever. Uh, the Lord's word was so certain on this that even, uh, we hear, if the entire army of Chaldeans was defeated, uh, the severely wounded among them would rise up and burn the city with fire. What rhetoric we hear there. Uh, that it, it, This is so inevitable. It, it doesn't matter even if the worst of the, the wounded uh, are the only ones left to fight against you. This is going to happen. It's inevitable. That that line about how the as you're pointing out though even if it was just wounded men they'd still rise up and burn the city with fire is is very striking language as you said and it, I mean it reminds me of how it seems Zedekiah and the people of Judah and Jerusalem have in their minds that that somehow all of these events are it's it's just one big political game that that they're caught in the middle of these big empires here's Babylon here's Egypt maybe if we pick the right side we'll be okay. And, and and if the Babylonian army, if we could just take care of that problem, then we'll be okay. But in reality, what's what's going on behind all this? It's all about their rebellion against the Lord. And it's actually the Lord who is the one who has sent the Babylonian army against Jerusalem and Judah. I mean, how, how else could it be that wounded men would capture and burn a city except for the fact that the Lord is the commander of this army. I mean, we've, we've heard this striking language from Jeremiah before, and it's been in other prophets as well, that the Lord uses foreign powers like the Babylonians as his own servants to do his will, to bring this discipline, this punishment against his people. And just this, you know, that, that line there at the end of this, or verse 10, I mean, I think it's just a reminder of that, that no matter what Jerusalem and Judah and Zedekiah do to fool themselves, their real fight isn't against Babylon, their allies, not Egypt, but the, the problem is they rebelled against the Lord. They need to repent and turn back to him. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's just amazing that they they continue to ignore that fact, uh, to hear the word again and again and again. But it just shows you how unbelief makes you makes you unreasonable. Uh, it dece- you deceive yourself, and and that's uh, that's really what's what's going on here is that they're they're deceiving themselves. Uh, they're they're not listening to what the Lord has said. And, you know, oftentimes we, we blame the devil for deception, uh, and that's certainly true. But we also need to point the finger at, at ourselves and at all, you know, all unbelief, uh, that it's just deception. 
and uh, he thinks, you know, a door closed with with there, but uh, here, here's a window opened, and here's the Lord says, nope, I've closed the window too. Uh, nothing's going to change here. And uh, we're just deceiving ourselves when we when we say no to the Lord. You know, that's why we, when we confess our sins, we say that we, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and we shouldn't just use that sin in a generic ter- as a generic term, but rather start to understand, you know, where are we not listening to God's word in our lives? And had Zedekiah done that, then certainly he he would have seen a, a different uh, life for himself, even if Jerusalem, um, as the Lord said, uh, must be destroyed. I mean, and even at this point, this late in the game, that is the reason that the Lord continues to speak his word through Jeremiah to warn Zedekiah and his people of this coming disaster. But ultimately, even now, with the purpose that they would listen, that they would repent and yeah. believe, that they'd stop deceiving themselves. And and even if the the destruction at the hand of the Chaldeans still came, that that it would end up being for their for their good, that they would be disciplined in that way, and yet they would have been brought back to faith in the Lord. Even now, that's the Lord's intention with this word from Jeremiah. Absolutely, and that's that's something that we we need to take great comfort in that the Lord is always working through the word. And yes, there will be those who harden their hearts against it and continue to deceive themselves. But the Lord will continue to, as Jesus says in the parable of the sower, so continue to to uh, cast the seed recklessly. Uh, in the sense that he is is uh, going to do it for the sake of those who will hear, and and that it's a powerful word that can can break hearts and and raise them back up through Christ. And so, uh, yeah, he God's intention. We know his proper will. It's a good and gracious will to save us, and that's what he's trying. Even though, as you you rightly point out, this chastisement. Even though there is a chastisement upon them, that's the way God God works. He's a he's a father. Uh, and uh, a good father disciplines his children, and that's what he's doing to to Israel. That's what he's doing to Judah. That's what he's doing to Zedekiah. That's what he does to us, uh, not because he hates us, but because he's a good father in order to produce a harvest of righteousness uh, in the end. And so, yeah, what a good reminder to us that the purpose of the Lord preaching his word here to Zedekiah remains the same. Uh, it's just that it's meeting uh, that hard ground. Even on that hard soil, the Lord continues to scatter the seed of his word through the prophet Jeremiah. As we are hearing here in Jeremiah chapter 37 with Pastor Stephen Preuss, we need to take a short break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, July 20th. We're studying Jeremiah chapter 37, verses 1 to 21 with Pastor Stephen Preuss. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Vinton, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, prior to the break, we looked at verses 1 to 10 of the chapter, this prayer that Zedekiah asks for, but apart from faith, and the Lord repeats to him the word that destruction is coming at the hands of the Babylonians. 
We mentioned previously that the historical context is the Egyptian army is coming, which is going to distract the Babylonians for a moment, and that is important context as our text continues now in Jeremiah 37, verse 11. Now, when the Chaldean army had withdrawn from Jerusalem at the approach of Pharaoh's army, Jeremiah set out from Jerusalem to go to the land of Benjamin to receive his portion there among the people. When he was at the Benjamin gate, a sentry there named Erijah, the son of Shelemiah, son of Hananiah, seized Jeremiah the prophet, saying, You are deserting to the Chaldeans. And Jeremiah said, It is a lie. I am not deserting to the Chaldeans. But Erijah would not listen to him, and seized Jeremiah and brought him to the officials. And the officials were enraged at Jeremiah, and they beat him and imprisoned him in the house of Jonathan the secretary, for it had been made a prison. When Jeremiah had come to the dungeon cells and remained there many days, King Zedekiah sent for him and received him. The king questioned him secretly in his house and said, Is there any word from the Lord? Jeremiah said, There is. Then he said, You shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon. Jeremiah also said to King Zedekiah, What wrong have I done to you or your servants or this people that you have put me in prison? Where are your prophets who prophesied to you, saying, The king of Babylon will not come against you and against this land? Now hear, please, O Lord, O my Lord the king, let my humble plea come before you, and do not send me back to the house of Jonathan the secretary, lest I die there. So King Zedekiah gave orders, and they committed Jeremiah to the court of the guard. And a loaf of bread was given him daily from the baker's street, until all the bread of the city was gone. So Jeremiah remained in the court of the guard. That's the rest of our text for today. That was Jeremiah 37, verses 11 to 21. So Pastor Price, as we were saying, this historical situation has the Egyptian army coming up to distract the Babylonian army. And that's the context now for Jeremiah to leave Jerusalem, or at least to attempt to leave Jerusalem for a time. What's going on in those first couple of verses? Right, so Jeremiah decides to go home to his uh, land, the land of Benjamin. And so uh, when these Chaldeans withdrew for a short time from Jerusalem uh, to deal with Pharaoh's army and get reinforcements, uh, Jeremiah went back to where he was from in in Benjamin. We we uh, we know that that's you know originally where where he is from. He's of the tribe of, of Benjamin. Uh, so uh, the Hebrew says that he went there to make a division of inheritance. Uh, what that exactly means? It's something to do with how he intended to take the the personal property he had inherited. We're not exactly sure what that is, but that he would go to take that and and take care of it. So. Uh, we know that uh, in the past that Jeremiah had longed to have a lodging place in the desert to get away from his adulterous and treacherous people. We hear that in chapter 9, uh, verse 2. And uh, he saw that his words were falling on deaf ears in Jerusalem. And, and here, uh, as the Chaldeans are away and he has time to, to, to go, he goes to you know, stop, stop preaching for a little time uh, upon, to, to the deaf ears in order to take care of his own his own business. So it's kind of a reminder to us that, you know, Jeremiah is a, a regular man. And uh, though he is a prophet, uh, he's also uh, one who has a family and has uh, um, personal inheritance that he has to take care of here. Back in chapter 32, Jeremiah is told by the Lord to buy a field there in Anathoth. And it, and it seems because it, in Jeremiah 32, he's already imprisoned 
under Zedekiah's reign. It seems that that happens after what we're talking about here in 37. But but we talked there in, in chapter 32, and it seems here as well that, you know, to deal with matters of, of family inheritance, family business, real estate transaction of some kind, whatever exactly is going on here, it seems like a strange thing to do in the middle of a siege, a particular, even when it's just been lifted. And, and Jeremiah knows it's been lifted only for a short time from what the Lord has said. Ultimately, that that preaching there in chapter thirty-two, where he's told to buy the field, is a matter of of hope. That you know he's told to buy a field because the Lord promises he's going to bring his people back. Even though this comes likely before those events in chapter thirty-two in terms of chron- chronology, it does seem that there's maybe a, a bit of a note of hope here, and and that even. It, I think it, it helps us to see that what happens to Jeremiah is, in fact, unjust. He's not actually planning to desert. We know that for a fact. If anything, the, the actions that he's about to take are are hopeful. But nonetheless, his his actions get misinterpreted. So he's he's seen leaving the city, and there's this sentry. And we find out a little bit about his background, which is probably significant. How does this sentry, who is he, and how does he take Jeremiah's actions? Yeah, so into verses 13 to 15, Jeremiah uh, is seized. He's presumed a deserter. He's beaten and imprisoned. Uh, and it starts at the Benjamin Gate, so at the, the northern part of Jerusalem as you're entering into Benjamin, that territory. There's a sentry named Urijah. Uh, he he seizes Jeremiah, and we're told who he is. Urijah was the grandson of Hananiah. And we have to go back to uh, chapter 28, to remember who Hananiah was. He was a, the false prophet who falsely prophesied that the Lord would break the yoke bars of Nebuchadnezzar from the neck of all nations, including Judah. And so this this is not what the Lord said. This is a false prophecy. Uh, and because of this false prophecy, we hear that Hananiah died uh, because he uttered, as the text says, rebellion against the Lord, rebellion against the Lord's word. Right, and so this is who Hananiah was. Well, now you have his grandson Elijah falsely uh, accusing Jeremiah of being a deserter, uh, since, like we had said, the Chaldeans were also leaving Jerusalem at the time. So it, it might look like Jeremiah is just fleeing with them, and so you can kind of see how um, people might might use this as a, a way to say, well, no, uh, it, clearly this is what he was doing because this is what the Chaldeans were doing. This is what how Elijah could, could make it sound very plausible. Uh, but uh, Jeremiah insisted that it was a lie, right? A deception, you know. Um, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the t- tree as far as that goes. There's, there's this deception and lying here. He doesn't have any evidence that this is what Jeremiah is doing. Uh, but it is it is payback, maybe, I don't know, uh, for what happened with Hananiah. Um, it certainly seems plausible that that's the case because um, of their relation. Sometimes family members will uh, hold grudges instead of actually following God's word. They will follow their children or their grandparents or parents or whatever um, because they find that to be a more, uh, you know, for the for the moment, a more comfortable thing to be doing. Um, or just have this family love more than the love for God and God's word and God's servants. So Jeremiah, uh, you know, he insisted it's a lie, but uh, Elijah did not listen. He took him to the king's officials, who are his counselors. They're the ones who would help the king with his judgments. And what's amazing about that, too, is it's it's kind of a kangaroo court. There's, there's no sufficient evidence. There's no trial. Uh, you know, you think you... 
you you might have it uh, bad sometimes here in in modern days as far as uh, you know sometimes things don't go well in courts. Well, here, I mean, it's just a total kangaroo court. They're 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 not actually practicing justice. Uh, the counselors are just so enraged that Jeremiah uh, would be a part of the Chaldeans. Uh, they, they just beat him, and they, they imprison him in, in this dark dungeon cell in the house of, of Jonathan, who is like the Secretary of State. So uh, this is the response to Jeremiah going, and you know, as you, you helpfully pointed out, uh, you know, Jeremiah is going to you know, deal with, with, with land matters and property matters there, even though he knows that that this is going to happen to Jerusalem and Judah, he still is doing this with the hope of a return, uh, with the hope of this is still what God has promised that we will one day have this. And and Jeremiah has every good intent, and here Elijah uh, and the king's officials have nothing but evil intent. Uh, and once again, the the prophet is is in in a terrible position, uh, alone uh, in a dark cell uh, with no one but the Lord. In in terms of the way that that Jeremiah is received here and the the mistreatment that he he gets as a faithful prophet, I mean, just as you were describing it and and reading it there in Jeremiah thirty seven as well, I, I'm seeing a lot of parallels with the life of our Lord. Is is Jeremiah serving as a, a type or a foreshadow of Christ here? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, there's certainly a way for us to look at it that way. I mean, I, I think that. That Jeremiah, he's called the weeping prophet or or the lamenting prophet, and uh, there are times when our Lord is weeping as well because of the rejection of the people. Uh, you look at Jesus going to Jerusalem and he weeps over Jerusalem, and then he is left all alone, and and there's a kangaroo court there too um, that does not have sufficient evidence, but they are they they are so set on their ways and what they're going to do. Um, and it's just evidence of the prior hatred of Jeremiah then, just like there was prior hatred uh, of Jesus that led to his his uh, arrest and, and crucifixion. So, yeah, there there are lots of ways in which we could relate uh, Jeremiah and see him as a type of Christ, uh, as, as a good prophet. And, and isn't that what some of the people said? You know, who do people say that I am? And, and some of them said, said Jeremiah. So uh, definitely uh, the people in the days of Jesus saw uh, a lot of correlations, too. Yeah, I mean, just even in, in some of the sort of the details that are there, you know, I mean, you have Jesus being accused of, of being traitorous to a degree, you know, a traitorous ultimately to his own people. They would accuse him of being blasphemous toward toward the Jews. And then later they accuse him of being a traitor against Rome as well. I mean, so just some of those just even bare facts of, of how they're treated, the matter of the kangaroo court, just some of those bare facts. And then, of course, theologically, as you point out as well, lots of, of parallels. As, as Jeremiah comes before in that same line of prophets, ultimately fulfilled by the ultimate full prophet of our Lord, uh, who is Jesus Christ. So with that, then Jeremiah is, is stuck in this awful prison. It's it's called a, a dungeon. We're going to find out in the next chapter about this. You know, imagine sort of like a, a cistern, some pit. This is not a pleasant captivity that he's receiving. It it strikes me that it is in the, the house of Jonathan, the secretary, and again, not not knowing all the ins and outs of the the Judah, the court of, of Jerusalem there, but it strikes me that that's the prison at this point, which which maybe points to how bad things have gotten in Jerusalem that they're using the the secretary's house as the prison, and it's this dismal of conditions. That's where Jeremiah is, and it's there that that Zedekiah 
wants to interact with Jeremiah again. And we, we referred to this a little bit earlier as, as Zedekiah had come previously to Jeremiah asking for prayer. Now Zedekiah is going to come back to Jeremiah again. Take us into this interaction that the king has with the prophet. Yeah, Zedekiah calls for Jeremiah and ends up hearing the word of the Lord in, in these these verses 16 to 19. Uh, it took King Zedekiah, though, uh, many days to send for Jeremiah and receive him. It shows how much he relied on, on Jeremiah's prophecy, right? I mean, he didn't really care or notice uh, and, and in some ways just didn't want to have anything to do with him. Uh, so he did not receive him for a while, but eventually he does call for him. But why? Uh, well, the Chaldeans are returning to lay siege to the city again, right? Just as Jeremiah had prophesied. So it's isn't this typical of Zedekiah and and many others that you know when things are are, are good and prosperous, uh, he doesn't really care about the Lord, doesn't care about Jeremiah the prophet. But as soon as things are going bad again, all of a sudden he he wants his help. Uh, he wants the Lord's help. And this it, again, it's not true faith. It's it's this. Uh, I'm terrified. I don't know what to do. Oh, maybe this guy will help me. Maybe maybe he will. Maybe he'll say a better word to me now. And so he questions him. And what does he do? He does it secretly. Right? He's ashamed to be seen in company with this prophet who's in a, this this cistern of a dungeon cell, um, and and is accused of being a deserter. Uh, and and it was even more pathetic when you actually hear what he says to Jeremiah again. Is there any word from the Lord? Well. Yes, of course, there's a word from the Lord, Jeremiah says, there is. But but Zedekiah, he's got this vain hope that the Lord had relented from the disaster, that he wasn't going to fulfill his word as he had said through the prophet Jeremiah. And so Jeremiah just bluntly reasserted, there is a word from the Lord. You shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon. So nothing has changed. Zedekiah is just incorrigible, trying to figure out a way to get around the Lord's prophecy. Uh, the Lord would visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, right? Uh, all of these these sins that have happened. God is very very serious about this, and so uh, Jeremiah then, you know, lets him know as far as it goes uh, personally, he had done nothing to deserve this this prison sentence, and so he just kind of turns it around on him. Yeah, everything's the same, Zedekiah. Now listen, I didn't do anything to you. I didn't do anything to your servants or the people. Instead, you should have been doing something else. You know, instead of throwing a true prophet into prison all by himself, maybe you should have done that to the false prophets. And so he says, you know, where are your prophets who prophesied to you saying the king of Babylon, Babylon will not come against you and against this land? Uh, were they in a dungeon like Jeremiah had been? And so he kind of flips it around on him there that here's Zedekiah calling for a different word from the Lord. Uh, Jeremiah doesn't give it to him, and he says, listen to this. I'm being treated terribly for giving you the true word of the Lord. Listen to it, and then understand the chastisement and trust in the Lord instead of doing nothing to your false prophets and, and, and letting them roam free and continue to say the, the false things about about the, the future joy of of Jerusalem that doesn't involve its destruction. Mm. It's a pretty bold move there by Jeremiah to, to go ahead and, and call the king out like that. You know, say, hey, what about those? What about those false prophets? And it, you know, this is there's nothing new, of course, and nothing. This still happens today that that there's no problem 
with with folks mistreating the Lord, His Word, His faithful preachers, all the while tolerating those who are, are false preachers. Uh, very recently, uh, Major League Baseball had their All Star Game, and, and one of my friends pointed out that the there were players who were microphone. They had a microphone on the field, and several times during the broadcast, they would take the Lord's name in vain. And and he pointed out, you know, Fox, the the broadcaster, has no problem with that, with taking the Lord's name in vain. But imagine if they had say talked about Muhammad in that way, or talked about the the religion of Islam in that way, and how quickly that would have changed the the microphone on the players, that that it would have been silenced. And so even even still today. People have no problem, it seems, mistreating the true prophets of the Lord and and despising the Lord and his word, all the while letting the false prophets have their way and, and even upholding them, much like King Zedekiah was doing in, in 588 B.C. Yeah, yeah. I, I see this, too, in, amongst Christians, where, um, say, you're preaching as a faithful pastor on the beauty of marriage between one man and one woman— and, and the procreation that God has brought about through that union uh, to have children and this beautiful design that God has in this world uh, for a man and a woman to be together and in a family. And then you mentioned there are things that are against that, and you mentioned things like the whole LGBTQ plus agenda. And uh, you hear somebody tell you, even amongst Christians, saying, "Well, I don't think you should be you should be condemning those kinds of people. We should be more, you know, shouting what we're we're about uh, and and whispering what we are against." And um, you end up getting persecuted in you know these these more minor ways, but uh, but certainly uh, spoken against. Uh, when you speak the word of God, and then those who are, you know, saying things like, "Oh yeah, let's just talk about what we're for, we're not what we're against," they end up uh, becoming the more favored preachers and 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 the better people that 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 people want to listen to. And and so, in very much the same way today within the church, you're seeing that kind of thing. Jeremiah's message wasn't popular. Who wants to hear that things are going down and and everything is going to get destroyed and you know, as we'd say today, our culture is just you know, collapsing. Well, what do you think was going on back then? And and Jeremiah was not popular. I think preachers today, as they, you know, are addressing the, kind of the collapse of Western civilization as we've we've seen it over the last you know seventeen hundred years, uh, it is it is really an amazing thing that we're going to probably have to face similar things uh, as Jeremiah. The other thing that strikes me about that question from verse nineteen, you know, where are your prophets? Jeremiah has been put into prison on the accusation of desertion, that, that he was the one deserting. And yet, and, and granted, you know, he's been forcefully put in prison, but the fact is he hasn't deserted Zedekiah at this point. The, the faithful prophet is still faithfully speaking the Lord's word. Whereas, I mean, where, where are the false prophets? And I suppose they're, they're still around, but are they keeping counsel with the king? Are they there trying to, to comfort the king? I, I don't know. But I, I mean, I think it, it highlights all the more the faithfulness of Jeremiah that he, in fact, has not deserted Zedekiah. He's there still speaking the word of God. He's still being faithful to what God has given. And that that faithfulness of Jeremiah, is I think that that leads us into his request. So in, in verses 20 and 21, as the text concludes, we hear Jeremiah make a request of Zedekiah? He doesn't want to go back into this deep, dark dungeon. What what does he ask the king, and how does the king respond? Yeah, he pleads for better conditions, and he ends up getting it. Uh, Jeremiah could not change the condition that Zedekiah in Jerusalem would have to endure. He knew that. He had the word from the Lord. 
but Zedekiah could change the conditions for Jeremiah. And so even though we know that Jeremiah was willing to die a martyr, uh, that there's no doubt about that in his boldness, uh, he also took the opportunity to preserve himself here. Uh, so he, uh, who spoke with authority, right, when proclaiming the Lord's word, he, he humbly pled uh, to his authority on earth, the king, uh, that he not go back to, to Jonathan's house lest he die there. And it really gives us all an example, especially preachers. Uh, there's a saying, uh, a lion in God's cause must be a lamb in his own. And Zedekiah uh, listened to this, so uh, well, at least to an extent. And, and he gave orders for Jeremiah to have better conditions in the court of the guard, uh, there in the court of the guard, he would actually have, you know, light and air and be able to walk around. And so it'd be certainly much more pleasant than a, a dark cistern dungeon. Uh, Zedekiah also, we hear, gave him daily bread, which we know uh, the Lord was providing through him. The Lord's Prayer obviously teaches us that. Uh, but I would say, you know, I say that he listened to Jeremiah to an extent. Zedekiah should have released Jeremiah and exalted him. He should have said, you are a faithful prophet. Uh, how difficult it must have been to approach the king and, and preach these words again and again and again and to be in the situation that you are. And you should be exalted even if Jerusalem will fall. Um, but, but Zedekiah did no such thing. Um, it, it preserved Jeremiah's life, so thanks be to God. And, and uh, that's the way the Lord willed it. Uh, so we, we'll, we'll give credit where credit is due for Zedekiah, but we're not going to let him off the hook. Uh, and we're going to really be amazed and, 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 and see it as an example to emulate in Jeremiah, that with the Lord's word, stand firmly upon it. Do not ever waver from it. Be faithful and trustworthy. Uh, and then when it comes to your own desires, uh, be like a lamb, uh, not like a lion. Be, be humble uh, and, and, and seek uh, what is good for you uh, so far as, as God will allow it to be given to you. And that's, that's how Jeremiah is. I'm reminded of when Jesus sends his disciples out in Matthew chapter 10, and he, he says he's sending them out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so he tells them to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And I, I think that's that's kind of what is going on here with, with Jeremiah, that you know he's, he's innocent as a dove. He, he continues to proclaim the word of God faithfully, boldly. I mean, he's... He's there in prison. The king has said, "Hey, is there a word?" And he he doesn't hold back what that word has continued or has been in the past, and what it continues to be. And, and yet, at the same time, you know, he he asks for what the king is supposed to give him, which, as you point out, is is certainly far more than he gets, and even far more than he asks. But but he asks for that daily bread, much like I mean, I'm, I'm reminded a little bit of of how. St. Paul in the New Testament will appeal to Caesar. You know, he, he makes use of those rights that he has as a Roman citizen for the, the sake of the gospel, and the Lord uses that to preserve Paul's life and to, to continue the preaching of the gospel throughout the world. Much like it seems here, the Lord uses the, the request of Jeremiah to preserve Jeremiah's life and to continue that preaching of, of the word in Zedekiah's day as well. Pastor Price, we've got about three minutes left on the morning. As, as you reflect upon Jeremiah chapter 37, uh, final thoughts on the chapter? Help us to, to wrap things up and, and in this chapter, point us to Christ our Savior. I think the thing to take away from this is the inevitability of uh, God's word coming true uh, and, and being true. And it, it gives you both a, a sense of, of of fear and of great comfort 
the fear is is that he is he is very serious, deadly serious, as we see here, where you know people can try to distract themselves all they want uh, and deceive themselves all they want. Uh, the judgment of the Lord is true, uh, and it will come to pass, just as it came to pass uh, for for Judah and Jerusalem and King Zedekiah. And so uh, it's a reminder to us to fear the Lord and to not trust in our own wisdom, uh, to see that he wants to chastise us under his mighty hand and humble us so that we might then listen to his word and, and ultimately to see that his word is uh, inevitable in, in the gospel as well. Uh, he promised them that even though it would be destroyed, yet there would be the remnant that would, would come back and that all of Israel would be brought back, and ultimately all nations would be brought, and there would be a new covenant, uh, as we we heard back in in chapter 31. And so it is a a wonderful truth for us that God's Word does what it says, uh, and He doesn't go back on His promise. Uh, Yes, He he didn't go back on His his Word uh, of of destruction in in this life uh, to those who um, spurned His Word, uh, but even those who uh, have spurned his word in this life, uh, if they come back in repentance and cling to his truth, they have a bright future in that uh, the Christ did come. Uh, he died for our sins. He, he rose from the dead and is exalted above all heavens so that he might gather all nations to himself, uh, to the, the promised land of, of the new creation uh, that we all have in store for us through faith in Christ. So, uh, yeah, the inevitability of everything, I think, is really something to take away from this, that God's Word will surely come to pass. Pastor Stephen Preuss is the pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Vinton, Iowa, helping us today with Jeremiah chapter 37, verses 1 to 21. Pastor Preuss, thanks for being our guest today. Thanks for having me. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Jeremiah or comments on the series, we'd love to hear from you. Send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the app. The open mic feature there allows you to send up to a 60-second message to us. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.